I'm enjoying um, the, seeing the stage um, come to life. I've got carpet. feels like I'm up here um, receiving an award, so I'm just going to um, share a, f a few words of thanks before I start. I want to just um, thank my wife, who uh, always very prompt, helped me to get to church on time, got my water bottle ready. Thank you. Um, I want to thank Graeme, who's got the service ready for us. Um, it's always a big step of faith when you put the preacher's name, Jerome, and you go 20 minutes. That's wonderful. Thank you. Um, I just want to thank all of you who have gathered here this morning and those watching online. Um, thank you for being recipients today of God's word. And I'd also like to thank God for his love for me, because without his love, I would be lost. So thank you. Thank you all, and I hope that indeed you are people who are lovers of God's word and are open to the things that he might be saying. Today, um, I'm thinking of this message as a bit of an interlude. Um, we've been listening to the Song of Songs expounded to us, and I've really enjoyed that. Um, we thought this might be a series, but we're thinking, no, it's probably just going to be a standalone sermon. Um, there are no PowerPoints, so keep this in mind. This is your anchor. God is love in Christ in us. God is love in Christ in us. And this is an interlude. And an interlude, like in music, an interlude does separate itself from the rest of the song. It's an interlude. But a good interlude has little notes that just help you remember that it is part of the song. And so we have been looking at the Song of Songs, so don't be surprised if that informs a lot of this message that God is love in Christ in us. And, and last week, you might remember that we're actually in the middle of something called Thy Kingdom Come, a worldwide movement encouraging us to join with churches everywhere, praying that people would come to know the love of God. And there's a special focus on praying for young disciples so that's just there in the back of our mind as we think about the fact that God is love in Christ in us. And then we're also in an in-between stage where on Thursday in the church's calendar, Thursday just gone, we commemorated the ascension of Jesus. In 10 days' time, next Sunday, we will commemorate Pentecost. And so we're in between those two important days in the church calendar. You can keep that in mind as you remember that God is love in Christ in us. And so we are going to look at 1 John and um, I'm not just reflecting just on these uh, verses that we've read but also just on the whole letter of 1 John. And um, what can we say? We, well, it's called 1 John. We, which John? Well, Traditionally, historically, there's, there's good, good historical tradition to say that it's John the Apostle. The same John the Apostle that we believe also wrote the Gospel of John. And uh, the inner circle, uh, John, brother of James, James and John and Peter, that inner circle, that John. That's the one who we believe wrote this. And we believe um, uh, he refers to himself in his next two letters as the elder and he speaks to the people as his dear children. We have good reason to believe that he probably has direct oversight over this community that he's writing to. And this community that he's writing to, is, if you were reading it, you'd even hear this pr protective 
sort of tone in it. He's protecting them from false prophets, prophets or people, self-designated self-prophets, uh, 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 who have left their community and gone out. And they have different ideas about Jesus. Maybe Jesus, maybe Jesus seemed to be human. Maybe Jesus, well, if God's here and humanity's here, Jesus is some kind of hybrid. That may be some of the thinking of some of these false prophets. And so John wants to protect them. He wants them to know that God is love in Christ in us. And these words are for the protection, for the strengthening, and I might dare say it, for the growing of God's church. And in a time when churches in the West face decline, maybe this is an important message for us that God is love in Christ in us. Because when we believe that, everything changes. So some of his big themes are the incarnation. This is really important to John. God's love in Christ. And he talks a lot about sin and a life of love. And maybe the relationship between the two. And in 1 John 4.16, we read those words, those three words that we can slap onto a bumper sticker, sticker, put on a mug and on a bookmark. God is love. Quite often in the church, we don't have a problem articulating this as part of our faith. But do we really believe it? Do we experience the reality of it? This, of course, is why I've been enjoying Song of Songs. We're encouraged to enter into what love is like. As we look at that romantic notion of love, we think of things like passion and devotion, longing, intimacy, affection. When we think of that romantic love, these ideas are conjured up and they're strong and powerful. People love watching their romantic comedies or reading their romance novels or having their favourite uh, romance story because it conjures up strong feelings. God wants us to experience the depth the intimacy, the affection, the passion of his love for us. To experience it. And so I've been enjoying the Song of Songs for that reason. Because I think that's what we're hearing, a real invitation. And just in case, um, uh, for those particularly that may experience singleness, either by choice Sometimes not by choice, sometimes by circumstance, sometimes by grief and loss. Just a word to you that this, as passionate and as strong and as evocative as that image of that romantic love is, let me just say it's but a whisper and a shadow of what God's inviting us into with himself. It is a whisper and a shadow of what God is inviting us into with himself. But it is something that is evocative for, for us as humans and we think, people think about it and they think about the emotions that it stirs up. 
but it is a whisper, it is a shadow of what God wants us to experience with himself. God is love. So we read at the beginning of uh, this letter, he starts with, that which was from the beginning. The moment you hear those words, doesn't it take you back to John's gospel? In the beginning was the word, the word was with God, the word was God. You're supposed to hear that. You're supposed to recognise, oh yes, that's right. We don't want to forget the gospel as we hear this letter from John. Let's remember what, John, what John's good news was about. That God came in human flesh. And so he wants to refer to himself as an eyewitness of this. I saw, I touched. Why? Because he wants them to trust this message and to hold on to this message and to hold on to the incarnation. It is where the confidence comes from for John when he thinks about the fact that God is love. He goes on to talk about this message as God is light. The message... This message that we have heard from him and declare to you, God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. He very quickly, if we continue to read on, will connect this idea of light to love. And then by the time we get to 1 John 4, we hear those words, God is love. But he's already introduced the idea of love. And um, we read that um, in... uh, 1 John 2.9, anyone who claims to be in the light, remember God is light, anyone who claims to be in the light but hates a brother or sister is still in the darkness. Anyone who loves their brother and sister lives in the light and there is nothing in them to make them stumble. He very quickly helps them to understand this idea that to speak of having the light, of having a right knowledge of God is directly connected to the idea that you love your brothers and sisters in Christ. And why does he put this forward? Because he knows and he's looking at the behaviour of some of these false prophets. He's pitting that against them. That a right understanding of God, a right knowledge of God, of walking in the light, is akin, is equal to a greater love for God's church. And love, how do we think of love? We can think of it in so many different ways. We could jump to 1 Corinthians 13. Love is patient, love is kind, love is all these things. But let me think about it, or let us think about it in this particular way, that love is other-centred. Love goes out. It has an object outside of itself. Love is other-centred. When we talk about affections, affections for. When we talk about a devotedness, a devotedness to. It's always moving out. God's love is other-centred. That's why this idea of knowing God's love is having this love, and that love is other-centred. Um as we've been thinking of thy kingdom come and thinking about praying 
for young disciples, for people to know the love of God. We can think about a variety of ways in which love can be other-centred, but I think for the church in the West, they're talking a lot about churches growing old. What they mean by that is that, well, there are a lot more churches out there that do not have children, that do not have youth, that do not have young adults. There are younger generations growing up not knowing God's love. If the church embraces this idea that God is love, if the church experiences the reality of this, that God is love, then inside of us an other-centred love starts to pour out. And when we are other-centred, then church isn't about us. We start to think of our brothers and sisters and maybe for our context and in our time, what does it look like to think about the generations coming up? How do they hear and experience the love of God? Do our forms and expressions communicate to them? What would it look like to look outward towards the next generation? Well, how would that change our church and how we think about ourselves and how we function? But even if we were to say God is love, it's not just an abstract thought for John. And this is the key to it all. How do we experience it? How can he be so confident? He tells us. He says, I've heard, I've seen with my eyes, I've looked and our hands have touched. He's physically touched love. He's experienced it. He's watched. His confidence is in Christ. You can see why he wants to defend this doctrine of the incarnation. That when he looked at Jesus, when he touched Jesus, when Jesus put his hand on his shoulder. He knew he was being loved. For somebody to take that away and say, no, Jesus isn't God, or to say that this is not really God in flesh, for him, that's, you're missing the whole revelation that God is bringing to this world in this moment. This is everything to him. That's why he defends the incarnation. He's seen, he's touched. And so he goes on to make statements like this, which speaks both of an other-centred love and it speaks of that other-centred love centred in Christ. And so he uses expressions like this in 1 John 3.16. It's almost like he's saying, and this is the definition of love. He doesn't quite use those words, but just about. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. And then he says in 1 John 4, verse 9, This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. 
And then again he says in 1 John 4.10, This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Over and over again we hear this other-centred love. And we hear that it's centred in the person of Christ. That when we look at Jesus, when we see who he is and understand what he's done, we see the love of God. And that love of God isn't, it's, it's not our love. It's not, not that we've loved God, but that he loved us. If I love God, I'm loving the wonderful. I'm loving the lovable. But when God loves us, how does he love us? He has to make an atoning sacrifice for our sins. He loves those that did not love him. It's such a powerful and it's such an emotive thing, isn't it? Unrequited love. When love isn't reciprocated. Took me three times with Viv before. Three times. (laughs) Um, Unrequited love. I never wanted a dog. Uh, We got a dog. Um, He's... um, He's now uh, two years, two years just as of this past week. His name's Remy. And I love Remy. And Remy loves food. <laughs> I believe that... I believe that even in creatures such as dogs, that their affections can grow. Maybe I'm putting that out there. I think those of you that have pets are probably, yep, of course they can, but... But some of you that don't, it's like, no, they just will always love food and they will love you because you're the giver of their food. But, but I, I think I've seen it. I think I've seen it. As I said, I, I didn't really want a dog, but uh, we have one. And um, I did know this would happen. I knew that I would come to love the dog, and I do love Remy. And he loves Viv more than any of the rest in the family. But, but then I'm, I'm next. I'm, I am. <laughs> Because he knows, it's not just that I give him food, the boys sometimes serve out the food to him, but he knows, because I, I think they have a capacity for other things. It's not just food. They actually grow to enjoy companionship. And sometimes they come towards you for other things, other needs. But unrequited love and love that's not reciprocated, we do that to God all the time. And he just loves us. So when it says this is love, not that we loved God, it's our love, the world's love, is no, it's not the standard for this love that's being spoken of. This is an other-centered love. It's deep. It's passionate, it's devoted, it's intimate. In fact, I'm going to say something wild. You've probably heard the uh, idea that, that love, um, God's love doesn't change. Our, our actions don't make his love increase or decrease. It's just constant. I would say that that is true, but I believe his affections burn more for the sinner, for those that are suffering. I say this and, and, and well, so, so his love is constant, but I'm saying there's a warmth 
and an affection to his love for sinners and those that are not worthy or, or sense that. Because, why do I say that? Because I think the scriptures say that. Jesus says, I came for the lost. I have come for sinners. He'll leave the 99 to go find the one. There's an there's a, there's a affection there, particularly. God is love in Christ, and so in Jesus, we see this other-centered love, and it's phenomenal. How can we contemplate Jesus? How can we look at the person of Jesus? Because maybe that's our biggest, you know, I said that John touched and John saw. Well, I haven't touched and I haven't seen. Jesus ascended. But how can we? I've recently been drawn back to the Gospels to read them. And I, I, and I confess, I was a little bit inspired by the TV series The Chosen. But The Chosen isn't the Bible. It's, it's not the same. But it did inspire me because you just, you know, you got that glimpse and that picture. Oh, it could have been like that. And so I went back to the Gospels to read. And then I tried to put myself in that situation. I'd hear Jesus do something and I'd be like, what if I was there right next to him? That's what love looks like. That's what his love to me, towards me is like. I imagined it. Another time and another place where I capture what that love is really like in Christ is sometimes when I'm here in the gathered community, there'll be things that remind me, a prayer or a word from a song, all of a sudden moves me and something jumps in my heart. And it's not an abstract thought that God loves me in Jesus. It's like, God loves me in Jesus. And we all sometimes have these moments. What's it like to create space to find those moments where we remember that God is love in Christ? But God is love in Christ in us. And while I can't touch Jesus, John, he has a very high Christology. He's got a lot to say about Jesus and the person that he is and what he's done. But in John's Gospel, there are large passages dedicated to the Holy Spirit, unlike the other Gospels. And in some of those passages, we hear Jesus say things like, it is better for you that I go. How can it be better? We live in these in-between times Sometimes, well, one in between time at Christmas, we remember and we think about Jesus' coming. We remember that he came and that he's coming again. We're in an in-between time. Between Good Friday and the resurrection, there's Easter Saturday, and that's an in-between time. What a, what a place for the disciples. Jesus is gone, but then he's back again. But then you've got the ascension, where Jesus is alive again, but then he leaves them. This has been their confidence. We know God is love. We experience it in the person of Jesus. And then he goes. But Jesus told them, it is better for you. Sometimes we have this picture that Jesus and the disciples were hanging around each other 24-7. But that can't be true. Jesus had a body. There would have been times when he went off by himself. And we know that. Can you imagine what happens to the disciples in those moments? What do we do now? Where's Jesus? I thought you knew. I don't know. What, where are we going today? I'm not sure. 
I think we should do this. No, I don't think we should do that. Peter, stop bossing me around. Who, I, I don't know what that picture looked like, but I'm sure they would have felt it's better when Jesus is here. He sorts us out and he, you know, nobody, there's none of that pecking order where people are fighting about who's in charge. So much better if Jesus is right here telling us what to do. He said it's better for us that he goes. Why? Because the Holy Spirit is God's presence with us all the time. The revelation of God's Spirit being poured out is an opportunity for our hearts to be awakened to the reality of God and his love all around us all the time. God is love in Christ in us. Before us, behind us, around us, below us, above us, in us. God is love in Christ, in us. And this is the point he makes to his congregation, to the community. He says it's contrary to to talk about knowing the love of God and then to act in ways that show hate and dissent and bitterness towards those whom God has shown love to means you don't understand God's love and that you're not entering into the full experience of it. His words exactly are, um, whoever claims to love God yet hates a brother or sister is a liar. For whoever does not love their brother or sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. He makes a direct correlation between what we say is happening here and what is happening here. That if I say I love God when I've known the love of God, then that's reflected in my relationships. As I'm asking us to consider the possibility that God is asking us to experience the reality of his love, I'm not just talking about fleeting feelings that chase emotion. And, And if you want to distinguish the difference, how can I distinguish the difference? How can I be sure that I'm not just chasing feelings, good feelings? Because we know that that's not what God's calling us to, and that's not the life he's calling us to. How can we be sure? One of the tests is this. If you're chasing an experience of God and his love... The test is this, that if you are finding it, you will find your love for your brother and your sister, your love for the church growing. That's the test. Otherwise, you're just a person that goes to church and gets high off the music, or you're somebody that gets high on some other kind of emotive way, and you're just chasing feelings. But if you want to know the test, the test is, if you are experiencing the love of God, then your love for the church will grow. And can you see the impact this would have on strengthening God's church and declaring the message of God's love to the next generation? God is love in Christ in us. And if we're experiencing the reality of it, those around us will feel it very quickly. Because if you can imagine having God's other-centred love, it's, it's extraordinary, right? It's not loving the lovable. It's loving in extraordinary ways. People notice when that sort of love happens. Don't try to generate or manufacture this love for God. That's not what I'm inviting you to do. 1 John 4.19, we love because he first loved us. I'm asking us to simply make ourselves available to receive this love. I'm asking you to go and do something 
really crazy. Last week, Andrew gave us these wonderful ways of just reflecting on the different ways we sometimes experience the pleasures of God or different ways we might worship God or even experience his love, as I might say today. If you weren't here last week, he talked about there are some people that are naturalists. In nature, they feel connected. They feel an openness in their hearts. Some people are sensates. Through their senses, through their physical senses, they notice things. And it's a place where they notice. I think I'm noticing something here. This is special. This is good. It's an opportunity to notice God is loving you. Some people are traditionalists. They love good tradition. Words that are well-crafted, trusted. There's the activists who love to do things. And as they're doing things, they feel the love of God in them. They're ascetics, people that might want to withdraw. I live a disciplined life. There are caregivers. As they're caring for others, they feel God's love flowing through them. There are enthusiasts, get excited in the joy and celebration. There's contemplatives. And there's intellectuals. People experience sometimes God's love in different ways. I I was sitting last week and I was reflecting and I felt invited. I felt God saying, Jerome, enjoy my love for you. So I went and responded to that. And I couldn't think where this fits into one of those, but maybe it's under the caregiving. But I made an appointment. Tomorrow morning you can think of me. I'll be catching up with an old friend tomorrow morning. And in that experience of catching up with that old friend, I will experience the love of God. Because this friend, it, you, you might know this experience of sitting in the safety of someone and you just know they love you with unconditional love. There's no judgment in this meeting. You haven't seen them for ages, but you pick up conversation and life like you'd seen each other just yesterday. And so I believe God's inviting me to enter into experiencing his love. And so I was thinking, well, how can I do that? And so think about ways that are most natural that God might be speaking to you about his love for you. God is love in Christ in us. God has poured out his love into our hearts through the Holy Spirit whom he has given us. He's given us his very self, his very presence. Let me finish with this. Um, Let me just leave you with this thought. In, In John's Gospel, he refers to himself as the disciple whom Jesus loved. It's kind of like, they believe it's like an anonymous sort of way of referring to himself, that he refers to himself, not in the first person where he says, I did this or Jesus said this to me. He refers to himself in the third person, the disciple whom Jesus loved. I think it's more than just a way of being anonymous. I actually think it's how he came to define his very life. Is he John the Apostle, John the Evangelist, John the Elder? Is he John the brother of James, the son of Zebedee? No, he's John, the disciple whom Jesus loved. The love of God in Christ defines him, controls him. It's how he sees and understands himself. God is love in Christ in you. Let God's love define you.